Welcome to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast, where our goal is to connect listeners to the great outdoors with hosts Brian Hoffmeyer and Ben Brandell. I'm host Ben Brandell, owner of Meant to Be Outdoors, instructor of outdoor skills, and passionate about personal growth. I'm host Brian Hoffmeyer, wildlife biologist and avid outdoorsman. Welcome back to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast. I'm your host, Brian, here with my trusty co-host, Ben Brandell. Mm-hmm. We have an exciting episode for you folks today. We just returned from an awesome trip, a really cool trip. We spent two nights and two days out on the 11 Point River and really the Missouri wilderness. It was all uh, federal Mark Twain National Forest, no cell phone service, a group of great friends, just absolutely beautiful creation with no people, and it was a really, really great time, uh, great time to unplug. Everybody was safe. We saw so much wildlife, slept a little bit, ate a little bit, all those things in between, fished a little bit, but it was a great trip, and we are going to tell you guys all about it today. Before we start, I want to share what I'm thankful for, and I want to share that I am so thankful for where God has put me. We don't really get to choose so much um, where he puts us, but I'm here in the Ozarks, and I love the Ozarks because it is beautiful and it has so much to offer. Um, And if you've never been here, I encourage you to give it a visit on vacation if you're here in the United States or traveling to the United States. It's kind of overlooked by a lot of people because it's northern Arkansas, southern Missouri, eastern Oklahoma, Uh, And people kind of overlook the beauty of it, and there's so much to do here, lakes and rivers and streams and all kinds of outdoor activities, but there's just sometimes um, when I'm enjoying creation in the Ozarks that I I can't believe I'm in the Ozarks. This isn't Colorado or Wyoming. Like, it is so beautiful here, Mm -hmm. and I'm just so thankful that I get to be here living in it every day um, and enjoying it with people that I love. Yeah, you're so right, Brian, and I am so thankful for friends the friends that actually put this together for us. So they were uh, communicating by saying who wants to go and, and really kind of put it together. And if it wasn't for Jason, um, most of us wouldn't have got together to go on the trip. So I do want to thank him. I also want to thank really my family for, you know, especially my wife, um, allowing me the opportunity to go out and do these things. Um, you know, still keeping down the fort, taking care of the kids, still holding down a job. It's, it's, um, she's amazing and I can't thank her enough. And then I also want to really thank God for the needs that I have. And what I mean is, before you and I ever go out and do any kind of experience, you know, I want to go shopping. I want to buy all the coolest, (laughs) all the best stuff, all the new stuff. I want to go use it, try it, and and, and play. But I realize that that God gives us what we need, not what we want. And so I really am just thankful for for the equipment that I have, the gear that I have. you know, uh, an old boss of mine was really talking about, you know, going out and fishing and really working on your equipment before you go out and fish and, and really hoping that all your pre-work and prep in that equipment, that it that it serves you right and that it does what it's designed to do. And, and that's just, I'm thankful for, for the, the things that I have, for sure. Yeah, that I, I definitely call you a gearhead. You, you love gear more than anybody I know. Um, and it's great because anytime we're in these situations, if somebody needs something, you uh, either know about the right thing to get or, or have it with you. So I always have kind of that security blanket, and, and that feels good. I think probably most people that go on experiences with you would say that. So, And it is. It's it's fun to go try all this mm-hmm. stuff, see what works, and, and see what 
what doesn't. And, you know, I bought some new gear for, for this trip too, and it all worked out and I was glad to use it. And it kept all my other gear that I already had dry. So that, right. that was a good thing. So let, right. since we are talking about gear, let, let's talk about our pre-trip. There, there's work to do and things to do before you ever even leave on, on one of these outdoor adventures, especially when you're going to be uh, staying, living overnight for a couple of nights. So what, where do you start? Where's that process start for you, Ben? You are a great trip planner, um, the best I've ever experienced. I know it's not necessarily your favorite thing. Um, like you said, with this one, we're pretty fortunate as far as where we were going, where we were staying, the, the campsite rental, all that stuff. We had friends that took care of that, and, and thank you for doing that because that does. there is a little bit of a burden to carry there. there so where is. do you start? Yeah, so first off is the goal, like we always talk about. What are you wanting to accomplish on this trip? You know, if you're if the goal is I want to be in a kayak or a canoe and I want to paddle, well, that's where you start. If it's I want to go hike and backpack, now yeah. we're looking at land. Do I have a kayak? Do I even this? have a kayak? Right? <laughs> I mean, for you and I, like you know, on any water adventure, I would prefer to have a jet boat. Yeah. And let's just throw gear in and some food with the cooler and let's run up river and and go fish. You know, uh, that makes it easier. But in regards to wanting to go out and and kayak or paddleboard. You know, there's a lot of, of thought that, that really needs to go into it. And so what's your goal? Are you trying to um, paddle as many miles as you can get in in a day? Or are there certain areas that you can camp or cannot camp? It really depends on the location. So what is my goal and what is the location? Where am I going? Which right. leads to what regulations? What are the restrictions? What do we need to, to yeah, start looking and, at? And you and I, one of, one of our goals was... Uh, on on that second night, we wanted to catch fish all day one, and and we brought a bunch of potatoes. You packed them in, and we wanted to fry fish and taters, and and uh, so we had a goal of catching some keeper fish yeah. that we could put on a stringer, take to camp with us, and and have some fresh food for everybody. So with that goal in mind, we had to pack our fishing gear, what we were going to catch, and obviously know the regulations. And this particular um, trip that we went on had more regulations. Maybe than any place I've ever been. Me too. Yeah. And, Due to trout. And yeah, then we got into studying them and it was kind of like, <laughs> do I, am I understanding this right? Or I really want to know this and not quite finding that answer so much so we didn't quite have reassurance of all the regulations until we actually ran into um, conservation department agents and employees while we were there and, and talked to them and confirmed all of these things because we do want to we do want to follow the regulations mm -hmm. we understand they're there in place obviously we don't want to get in trouble um but we want to follow the rules we want to follow the regulations so we did everything we could to make sure that we had full understanding and then that everybody in our group was following that too right you know on our pre-trip planning you and i discovered that um here in missouri you know they give the regulations for the whole state mm-hmm and then they start breaking it down with restrictions. And so for each waterway, for, for each waterway. Yeah. And so it's the restrictions that offset the regulations. So that's where you start is what's the regulation. And then you start digging into what are my restrictions. Right. And if there's no, if, if there's, if the restrictions only stay, uh, excuse me, the restrictions are only going to state what they state, but then everything else applies if there's no restrictions for it. And an example of that. So you get what we're saying is in the state of Missouri, a goggle eye has to be seven inches to be considered a keeper fish to take it home, fillet it, and eat it. 
the restriction for the 11-point river is that a goggle eye must be 8 inches. So that was a restriction that was given. So you, you have your state regulation that it has to be 7 inches and that you can keep 15. However, when you look up 11-point river, there's a restriction that says goggle eye 8 inches. Right. But your bag limit still is the same with 15. Right. So, you know, back to tree, uh, pre-trip planning, you know, fortunate... Lee, we, you and I, we knew we were going. So the guys wanted to go to 11 Point River. So that helped you and I with our goal and location right there. We knew where we were going. So now it's what do we need to know about the 11 Point? And so you and I knew we were going to go fishing. Mm-hmm. So we could start with the fun side first of yeah. we needed to know the regulations and restrictions. Then we also needed to know what kind of tackle and equipment were we going to take. And that even kind of lends into the restrictions because the first five miles of this trip was um, yeah, blue first five ribbon. And a half. For five and a half miles, it was blue ribbon trout. Trout. So you could not use anything rubber. No rubber, no live. It had to be what they call flies and artificial bait. So if it wasn't hard or feathered, you're not using it. Right. It doesn't matter what species you're looking for. So you and I kind of had to pack according on the fishing side if we wanted to fish in that stretch, mm-hmm. right? We had to make sure that we had our fishing license. For the state, we had to make sure that we had a trout stamp mm-hmm. if we were going to fish in those areas. So it's so important to know what your activities you're doing more than just the the paddling itself, right? So we were doing a paddling trip on the 11 point. Um, we knew that we wanted to go about 19 miles because we were wanting to take out yeah. at what was called Riverton Access. And that puts us at about 19 miles. And so that that's where that trip began for you and I of how we're going to plan this. So we know where we're starting now. We know where we're ending. So how long is it going to take us to get from A to B? And where are we sleeping in between? And that's where that journey began as you and I began to study. Now, we were with another group of guys, so we didn't know what their plan was, what they what they wanted to do. So it was kind of you and I kind of coming with a, if, if we had to um, decide, this is what we would decide now, but we'll we'll figure it out on the fly with the guys and we have a backup plan if we need to. Um, but that also got me into to making sure that people that are left behind here, back here at home, that they knew where we were going, what we were doing, and who to contact if they needed to. Right. And, and when you go on these trips in, in today's modern society, you don't know if you're going to be connected with a cell phone or not. Mm-mm. You don't know if you're going to be in and out of service, out of service the whole time. It turns out on this trip, from the moment that we got there to the moment that we left two days later, not one single time did we ever have cell phone service. No. Not, for, not for two seconds. Right. Never. Right. And and that was the, the, the trip plan that I left for my wife. I know you did the same. You know, I left her where we were putting in and where we were taking out. But then I also looked up the local ranger mm-hmm. for that site, and I was—I made it clear that if I do not contact you by this time on this day, call oh, this guy, man. call this gal, call this number. We're probably in trouble. Some, yeah. Something's not going something's as not planned right. if, if you don't hear from us by this time. Um, yeah, I did the same thing. I wrote it all down, left, left the phone number that you had, but also wrote down, because um, we didn't know exactly where we were staying on the river, mm-hmm. um, but they have what's called float camps around the river, which is where people can can pick and choose they're completely primitive basically just a little bit of a clearing where you might be able to pop up a tent and sleep for the night um wrote down a few of those options as well so that if they had to call and send somebody out to look for us they at least had a point of reference where we were supposed to be mm-hmm. so that they could go start looking for us if need be thankfully that and in most cases that's not going to happen but um that's kind of maybe a theme of what this podcast might end up being um 
those those small chance situations, yeah, most of the time everything's going to be good. Mm-hmm. But you don't plan for most of the time. You plan for that small case scenario because if you haven't planned for it, then you're not going to make it through it. Yeah, that's good. You know, to add to that, uh, to help people understand why I think it's so important to pre-plan and to have that uh, to minimize that risk is that on any of these trips, hiking, backpacking paddling of any kind from a stand-up paddleboard to a kayak to a canoe yeah and you keep bringing up paddleboard because most of us were in kayaks there were eight of us total mm-hmm. seven of, of us were in individual kayaks and then we did have one person do the whole trip on a paddleboard yeah which i want to do sometime it <laughs> we looks know, ben. We so know. <laughs> fun cannot wait to do it um but again any of those types of activities you have to manage your time mm-hmm. and your distance and so how we're how we're when we're talking about time, we're talking about daylight to darkness. Yeah. Because after it gets dark, things get very difficult. That's something you should know before you go, especially, uh, you know, we're we're right here at the beginning of the fall, and your time is changing. Your days are a little shorter. Uh, it's darker later into the morning. You do need to know your daylight hours and kind of set that expectation of we need to start by this time. We need to be off the river by this time because right. it gets more. Can you be on the river at dark? Yes. Do you want to be? Probably not. Right, and so looking at then mileage. So we just talked that this is about a 19-mile trip, mm-hmm. and we only have two days to do it in. So if you're going to split it up, how far do you need to get on day one to find a camp? So then how many miles does that leave you left for day two? Yeah, when I was talking to the conservation agents there at the boat ramp, they were asking our trip where we are going to be, all that, which I felt was good. I was letting them know. They know that there's a group of people out there if they have to go, but they weren't being nosy. I, they were just kind of... Helping. Helping. Mm-hmm. And I told them, and they were like, oh, so where, where are you guys doing your second night? And I was like, no, we're just, we're just doing it in one night. And they said, oh, no, most people do it in two like we are crazy. Um, so we, we, we did have to put some mileage behind us uh, in order to do it in one night. Yeah. And, and the rule of thumb, the average is that we you know walk around two miles per hour, and the same goes for actually paddling. Mm-hmm. It's about two miles an hour. I kind of always think about two and a half. But here in the Ozarks, some of our, you know, streams, they're not flowing very well. They're not fast, and, and you kind of get into these dead pools that you have to paddle. But our average was like 2.3 miles an hour. Right. So, um, But this stream was flowing. It was flowing. It had flow. There were very few, few what I call dead pools where you have to, you're just going to sit there unless you're paddling. I mean, most most of the time, this, this baby had some current was moving. Right. So, you know, what we averaged was great. Um, you know, we moved well. We got to camp in time, so you know everything went the way that we had had really thought that it might on our tree, uh, pre-trip planning. Yeah, yeah. So getting ready to go is, is so important. So you're you're leaving notes, you're telling people where you're going. That is can't be understated the importance of that. Never just go it, even so much to say, hey, we're going to the eleven point. Well, that's pretty dang vague. Right. That's a long river. It's in multiple states. That's not very good. So hey, we're going to the eleven point. We're camping here the first night. We're starting here. This is our route. Give as many details as can as you can so that you or your friends or somebody, it also gives the peace of mind to the people that are at home that if they need to find you, they can. So right. leave all that behind uh, for, for safety reasons. And then know your regulations. If you plan to fish, um, even if you're not fishing, you need to know 
where you can camp, what you can take on the river, what you can't. There's there's always regulations. You should know those rules and be respectful. No glass, no styrofoam. I mean, there's there's a lot of different rules and regulations. Know all that. I want to add too that when we're talking about leaving that plan, you know, it isn't just for your safety. I mean, that's a huge part of why we leave a plan behind in case something happens. We know help is coming, but it's also for those people back at home. Let's say something happens at home. I don't want to be off the grid two, three days. If something, a big event happens at home that they need to reach out to us, that's actually another great reason to have the Rangers number because they can come find us mm-hmm. if there was some emergency back at home. Right. It's just a kind of a peace of mind for me out there too, knowing that if something, you know, three days is a long time without contacting anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so I hope that gives you peace of mind and that, and that is why it's so important. It is. It definitely is. Um, when uh, you're packing your gear, you really... We've kind of talked on this before when we did our overnight backpacking, but going through, you may be standing there like, what do I even need to take? And and the fact of the matter is you have to leave some stuff behind because space is limited. Now on a paddling trip, weight's not an issue because if you can fit it in your boat and still paddle and fish and do operate the boat properly, then take it with you. I mean, you, you you had in your boat, which you had a bigger boat than I did, you had much more than you're gonna backpack. I mean, mm-hmm. you had ten pounds of potatoes. You're not gonna you're not gonna throw a sack of taters over your shoulder and go backpacking or the oil, the pots, the pans, all this stuff. As long as you got room for it, you can take it. However, still kind of that same process, go through the rooms of your house. Do I have my bed? Do I have my kitchen? Count your meals. Do I have enough to cover all of these meals? Uh, count your hygiene. Do I have my toothbrush, my deodorant, those things that I need, the medicine that I need, the sun, uh, sunglasses, prescriptions, everything that you need to be able to still live out there for for three days because you're not going to have access. You're not going to Walgreens when you're 10 miles down the 11 point. Yeah, no, and that's good. And, you know, your minimum is food, fire, shelter, water. Yeah, so always cover the core four, then go through your bedrooms and make right. sure. And then, yeah. and then after you for sure have your core four, um, it helps you from – from kind of forgetting anything, mm-hmm. yeah, kind of going through the rooms in your house. Is there anything that I need to take? You know, and once you have all that covered and you still have room, you can start throwing in some of those comforts if you want to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the fun stuff, the extra. You know, pre-trip planning. We're also looking at weather. So, the clothing I'm packing, the shelter I'm taking. Mm-hmm. You know, do I need rain gear or not? Is is there a chance of rain? Is it look like it's going to rain every single day, nonstop? You What's know? the high temperature? What's the low What's temperature? What's the highs and lows? Exactly. Um, sunrise and sunset, just like we talked about earlier. Yeah. Putting all that together and knowing that beforehand. Yeah. Something Something I kind of overlooked and a little disappointed in myself for this. I never, I, I never crossed my mind to pack according to... Um, or raise my awareness to the type of wildlife we may be encountering. The reason I say that, we ended up seeing some things that kind of caught me off guard a little bit because I didn't, it just wasn't on my radar of, oh, we need to be aware of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe that's something that we could have looked into. If we're looking at things we could have done better, looked into, you know, we're we're not going super far. We're still in the Ozarks. It was a little over two hours for us, but what kind of wildlife is over there that we may have to be more aware of to keep everybody safe? Yeah, and you can you can funnel that down into one word called hazards. Mm-hmm. So what are your possible hazards that you'll come in contact with, you know, on any trip? Right. And wildlife being one of them. So what type of wildlife is in that area and how can it impact me? How can it hurt me? 
how could it help me? You right. Know, depending on your situation. So definitely weather, wildlife, um, and, and honestly, in, in your, your pre-trip planning, being okay with once, well, first off is, is really creating a checklist. And once you've checked it off, being okay with saying, you know what, I know I have it packed. It's set. It's ready. I'm good to go and, and be done with it. You yeah. know, don't, don't stress. Did I have, have create your checklist, put it in your bag, put it in your boat, whatever it is, and then check it off the list and be free, be done from it. Um, have your maps, mm-hmm. you know, um, there are so many awesome apps out there on the phone. Yeah. What was the one you were using? It, it was incredibly helpful. I know we, we just had a free trial, but it was, it was so awesome. Now we're considering it, adding it to part of our meant to be repertoire. So I actually purchased a um, Nat Geo, a National Geographic topo map that had a section of this 11 point river on it. Hard copy map. But a hard copy. Yeah. I love physical maps. I wish I had a map for everywhere that I was going all the time, but it, it was only the 5.5 section and then it was done. And I, and because where I was shopping at, they didn't have any other. So I went ahead and got it. It's got some other rivers on it. Fantastic. But I was like, I need more. And so on the front of this map, they actually talked about topo maps that they offer. And I was like, Oh cool. So then I went down this rabbit hole and found these, these third party apps that are helping out this company. Mm-hmm. So this one was called Topo Plus, and it has every kind of map like on planet Earth that you can think of. It has any kind of overlay. So an example would be... And just to be clear, we're talking about an app on your phone App right on now. my phone, yep. yep. Topo I mean, Plus. It has a Topo map right there. looks just like the one I have in my hard copy. But the overlay features are awesome because you can turn on public private land you can see where you're at if it's publicly owned or private owned you can look at different features from road names you can turn everything off and on it's it's amazing but the most amazing part is that it works without cell service mm-hmm. so it is only using the gps so it's it is connecting the satellites but it's using the satellites so it's tracking my location real time on that topo map even without data without your cell service right and that's not an ad or an affiliate. That is just a genuine, yeah, if you want just, help, that's just something we use. We're not affiliated with them at all. There are others. So are others, find one right. that works for you, how much you want to pay, because they're all different prices. It was pretty cool, though, without service, to be able to pull up that map and see exactly where we were on the river and how much further we had the whole way. Yeah, and the last part of the trip, pre-trip planning is you could actually hand trace your route, and it would tell you how many miles. Mm-hmm. So that was an awesome feature because I had a, an idea of where the halfway point was on our trip and then i could begin to start planning well that looks like a gravel bar could be how many miles is that how many miles from our takeout do we have left and so it was just awesome to have because i knew how many miles we had been uh, had traveled and then i knew how many miles i needed to go and then i could do the math in my head well we're averaging about 2.3 miles an hour so let's just say two miles an hour and then i had a pretty good rough estimate of, of how long it would take for us to get to wherever we wanted to go yeah and and that, that gives you an awesome peace of mind. It, it, uh, it's powerful. It helps. It it's does. great. Yeah. Last thing I would say, if you're going on a paddling trip, on this pre-trip planning, get your dry bags. Get the good ones. You want all yes. your stuff to be dry. You don't want to be worried about keeping it dry. You want to be able to put it in the bottom of your boat if you need to. You do not want a wet sleeping bag to sleep in at night. Um, it could even create safety issues. So make sure you get your dry bags. Um, I went and bought some new ones just for this trip. 
Ben has about 7,500 different Whatever. ones to choose from before. He Whatever. <laughs> I have just anyway, enough of what I need. Make sure you have enough dry bags right. that you can put all of your stuff in it to stay dry and you're not worrying about it uh, while you go. Yeah, quick tip. If you're buying something new, try it before you go. So don't just buy it and slap it in. Yeah. A lot of guys do that. Do they Do they make it and it works? Yeah. But just do a quick test. So like with a dry bag, you don't have to fill it with water, but you're going to fluff it up to get air in it. Yep. Make sure that seal works. And you're just going to press down on it lightly. If you press too hard, it'll pop just like a balloon. So you're not wanting to do that. But if you're pressing it down, if you start losing air, then you've either done it wrong or you have a, a little hole in your bag and then no longer will it be waterproof. So test your equipment before you go. Yeah, that goes for all your gear. If If you know what to pack, that's one step. But once you have it packed, if you don't know how to use it when you get there, it's not really that good to you. So right. know what you're packing, know what you're taking, and then know how to use all of it before you go. Don't say, oh, I'm going to get this out there and figure it out. Uh, give it a test run before you go. Uh, you'll have a better peace of mind and you'll have a better trip overall. Um, something that we did that we thought was important was we set our kayaks out in the garage. We packed all of our stuff just like we would pack it if we were going down the river. And we loaded our kayaks. So we knew exactly way our loaded boats were going to look as we were going down the river, made sure we were going to fit in there, balance was going to mm -hmm. be good, mm -hmm. um, we were going to be able to paddle safely, we'd be able to get to our fishing tackle when we needed to, mm -hmm. all of that stuff. Right. Uh, made, made sure it was safe, secure, and we were ready to go before we went. Right, we even took it a step further. Um, we actually discovered, like, how can I place all this equipment, now that I know where it goes, when I'm there, where can I put place it right now in my kayak to where if we have to double stack our kayaks mm -hmm. in the back of a truck or on a trailer, it's still doable. We don't have to pull everything out to load kayaks. And and that just, again, goes to our time. We wanted to get out there, get out of there in a timely manner to get back home. So right. um, some people are like, man, that's a lot of, that's a lot of thinking. That's a lot of planning. It is. Some people do it. Some don't. At the end of the day, we love to do it right and to have it for it to be the most efficient that it can be. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's enough pre-trip. Let's get into it. Let's tell people about it. It was awesome. We rolled in uh kind of late at night. The first night it was after dark. There were several guys there already at camp. We're staying at Greer Springs, which is a uh, a federally owned forest service campground. Pre pretty primitive. There was a, a little pavilion, but it's kind of wherever your tent goes, wherever your hammock goes, doesn't matter. Uh, a fire ring, no water, no electricity. Uh, yeah, people call that primitive. The only reason it wasn't at all primitive to me is because there was a vault toilet. There was a pit, uh, yeah. Pit Anywhere toilet, that there toilet. is an amazing place to go to the bathroom. Amazing? That might is, be a little yes. bit of when an, you're in an over, area like that. Overstatement. That is an overstatement. When it was you have definitely a, not an amazing bathroom. When you have a hole with something to sit on top of, it's amazing, man. <laughs> and you even have a door. But the problem about it was it was so close to our campsite that of a morning when we were packing up and the sun started hitting that pit toilet, which I know you, Mr. Covey, well, yeah, you can't I, smell I anything. I could smell a sign problem. It was an awful stench, and I couldn't wait to get to the river and get away from this pit toilet smell. Mm. Mm. Yeah. No. Mm. Was, there's no mm, mm about mm. it. It was bad. Anyway, it was close to our campsite. There was a place to go to the bathroom, but no running water, no electricity. Uh, we actually chose, uh, we call it car camping if you're within arm's distance of your vehicle because inside. it does make we'll things easier. Inside of your vehicle, it's, yeah. we think it's car camping. Yeah. Um, we got there late. It was just one night. We were getting up in the morning and hitting the river, so we didn't set up hammocks. We didn't set up tents. We threw our sleeping bags 
in the back of my pickup truck. We took the boats out, threw our sleeping bags up in there. Uh, we kind of had to make that decision based on the weather on if we were going to cover ourselves. Um, we looked before we got there and saw that the dew point, the, the humidity had went up to like almost 90%. I think it was 86%, mm-hmm. which brought that dew point up to 64 degrees. And when we arrived, my truck said it was already 67 degrees. So we figured the temperature would fall a few right there by the river and that there would be dew. We didn't want to wake up wet. We didn't want to start the trip with wet sleeping bags. So we decided to take my tarp and we actually pulled it tight over the bed of my truck and we crawled up underneath it and slept under the tarp, which was a really good thing because all night long, it sounded like it was drizzling rain, but it was just the heavy dew dripping off all the leaves on the trees mm-hmm. above us. Mm-hmm. So it was a really good thing that we did that. It was, yeah, or we'd have been wet. Yeah, and but that was the same tarp that you were going to use on your trip as well. Yeah, I so. had the tarp because I planned to sleep on it on, on the second night, and, yeah. I, and I did, yeah. right. Um, so we, we slept, slept pretty good, I did. Yeah, I was but, out. Before that, we we sat around and and had the the campfire thing, camaraderie. Some people were cooking up different things, and we just sat around and and chatted. Yeah, um, there were some new guys on this trip that I hadn't met before, yeah, so it was awesome to meet them. And the guy camping next to us came yeah, over and he ha- came hung over. out with us. We got to know him a little bit, hear right. his story, which Ben and I love to hear people's stories and and talk through that. Um, what was really cool was. There was enough of a relationship built there that the next morning you actually got to talk about Jesus with this man and, yeah. and pray over him. You know, I came back to pick you up to take you to the boat ramp, and um, you were there with your hand on him praying for him. That was just really cool to see your heart for. Um, I wouldn't call him a stranger at that point because we had got to know him right. the, the night before a little bit, but uh, you had a heart for this man even though you, you didn't really know him, um, and you, you wanted to leave him with something, so you left him with the, the most important thing you could possibly leave him with, and that was Jesus. Yeah. Um, and he was struggling. I, you left him in tears because um, he knew. Mm-hmm. He knew what was what he was doing, what was going on in his life, but um, he knew the way, and uh, that was really cool. So I, I appreciate you doing that for him. Well, thanks. I, I almost didn't. Yeah. Um, it's tough to do. It's it horrible. is. You, you, everybody left the camp to go put down the water, and I stayed back with a couple of kayaks um, waiting to be picked up to, to transport. And um, he came over and started talking again, and, and you know, he, he wasn't feeling as good that morning. You mm-hmm. know, he had had a rough night. Um, and I was kind of like, yeah, 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 you know, talked to him. And I said, well, hey, have a good day. And I actually stepped away from him, and I was prompted. I was like, I, all right, I got to. You know, I just turned back around and, and started that talk and, and um, ended with prayer. And and the coolest part um, is we got to see him again at the very end of our trip. And, you know, he, he was in different spirits then. Um, he's probably still battling what he's battling, but it was it was, it was was cool. It was really cool, and I'm, I'm glad that um, I followed the prompt. Yeah. You know. And, so. and you, you never know when that's going to happen. You know, we, we know we're going to encounter people. um when we're in town, we when we're working with groups of people, we know we're going to be around these people, um, and and living as Christ followers, we should share because if if we're not sharing, then do we re- are are we really passionate about what we, we say we're passionate what about? We, yeah, right. Yeah, practice what if we it's as about. great as we say it is, we need to be sharing it with people. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, we know we're going to encounter people when, when we're in our modern society, but when we're out in the wilderness like that, you almost don't even expect it. But um, for you to answer that that prompting, which I believe was the Holy Spirit, to put that conviction on you of, hey, Ben, this guy, he needs to hear about me. He's hurting. Um, at the very least, 
just let the man know that you love him. Yeah. You know, just right. let him know that you love him. And I, and I think you did that. Um, so again, yeah, I, I appreciate that about you. And, and I've seen you do that before and uh, I know I'll see it again, but I, I do want to put out there and maybe some of you listening can use that as an encouragement. Cause you know, when you have that feeling of, I need to share this person, I need to love on this person. Right. And I guess that that's the tip. If it's a tip to give is when you feel it, go do it. Yeah. You know, you may not have the words, um, just share from your heart. You know, this, I could tell this man was, was hurting and running and yeah. And he, you could really tell he was looking because when he left camp the night before, he didn't plan on seeing us the next day. He even said, hey, when you guys get up and leave, I'm going to be in bed. Love to stay in touch with you. Leave your information under my windshield wiper, <laughs> which kind of a peculiar thing. That's different. Yeah. yeah. But a, a few people did because this group of men that we were with, you know, um, most most people in that group are Christ followers and they have this heart for this man like, this man just needs some love, and as awkward as it may be to meet this, talk to this guy again that I met at this campsite in the middle of nowhere, I'm going to do it because he needs love. So there was some information left under his thing, and you got to see him the next day, even though we didn't think we were going to. So there was this sign that we knew this man just needed some... Men time. Some, yeah. some man. Yeah, yeah. He needed some love, and he needed uh, he needed somebody to know that he wasn't alone. Yeah. No, that's good. And, and that's how our trip started, and that's that was set us off yeah and away we went so yeah we went we went down to the river we finally got everybody on the river which yeah. there was a little delay there uh but we got everybody out there and just immediately well and not to not to put anyone down but some people hadn't pre-planned yet and they were trying to figure out how to can i get my stuff to fit in my right. kayak and that's that's kind of why it's so important to do that process before you go and the um, boat ramp was crazy busy it was they so were busy stocking fish yeah. they had the jet boats out there there was a bunch of people trying to get on the river um, but we finally got out there, and once mm-hmm. we got out there, I had never been on this river ever in my life. Uh, immediately, wow, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. The watercolor is crystal clear. You stick your hand down in it, it's ice cold. There's Fell a huge cold, spring yeah. bubbling out. Yeah. There's a lot of flow. Right there in the first pool we put in, there's a bunch of wood duck hens, great blue heron. I mean, the, the it was very apparent we were going to be and just beautiful creation the yeah, whole time. True wilderness. True wilderness. Yeah. And, and gorgeous. It was. You know, and while on the water, as you're, as you're putting it on that water, you know, it does feel ice cold. Your body temp's hot, and the sun was out. It was getting warm. It was supposed to be about 85 that first day. Right. And, and when you feel that water, it feels really, really cold. But there is a difference between that and the actual springs that are coming out. So Greer Spring, is it like the 10th? It's the 10th largest in the world, I think. 10th largest in the world. So because of that spring, that's what allowed us to move so quickly down the river. Mm-hmm. There's that much water coming out, but it's cold. Very cold. <laughs> it's very cold. We stopped at several springs along the way, and we kept making the comment when we were walking in the actual spring that's feeding into the river, it hurts my feet. Yeah, it hurt. <laughs> it's yeah. so cold, it hurts your feet. But because it was so cold, it made for an, an, an awesome trout fishery. Right. You know, so the, our state stocks trout in there and and we knew that again we've already talked about that but our goal was to catch anything that wanted to hit any species that we could catch that was a legal size for us to clean and have supper right now the one exception was if you caught because it had to be 18 inches for a smallmouth no 15 15 okay so it had to be 15 inches for a smallmouth so you said if you 
caught a keeper smallmouth. Correct. You weren't going to eat it. No, I was going to put it back. And I, I was fighting you on that. I said, yep. well, then let me have it, and you don't have to. And I said, nope. <laughs> so how come? What What is it? Why didn't you want to eat a smallmouth? Well, one, they're my favorite fish. They're beautiful, but mostly because, um, and, and this kind of leads to why they have regulations, why they have to be longer than the other black bass species, but they grow incredibly slow, especially in these cold water fisheries. Um, it takes approximately eight years, eight years, almost a decade, for a smallmouth bass to reach 18 inches, which is going to be close to your three-pound fish. So they're growing that slow. So knowing that a 15-inch fish has been alive over five years and everything that he's had to go through and battle just to get to that, I just, I can't, I can't put a knife blade to him. Um, so I, I was not going to keep a smallmouth, but the rainbow trout that were in there, the uh, goggle eye or rock bass, shadow bass, whatever you want to call them, um, as well as there were spotted bass, we came to find out as we caught, and largemouth bass as well, which those had the 12-inch uh, limit on those. So mm -hmm. we're going to keep all that. And then also we knew from our research there were chain pickerel in there mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. And if we caught some of those of legal size or walleye, we were going to keep those as well. Right. And we did. And that was eventually so much fun. But it took the entire day. The entire the entire day. Right. So the, the blue ribbon area, which is... Um, the blue ribbon trout regulations, again, artificial lures and flies only, nothing rubber, nothing, no live bait. No plastics. No plastics, I mean, nothing. Um, as we were going through there, you can only keep one trout, and it has to be 18 inches long, which is a pretty good-sized fish. Nobody's catching anything. Nobody's catching anything. Nobody's catching anything. Well, wouldn't you know it, we're starting to have this conversation about, well, we ought about be to wear this... We knew the next access, Turner Mill, I think it was called, mm -hmm. was was where that blue ribbon area ended. We're like, we got to be getting close to that. We got to be getting close to about that five, five and a half mile mark. Bam! I catch a rainbow trout. It's small. I don't know, ten inches long. I thought, well, that's definitely not even close to a keeper. But finally got one, threw it in, paddled 150 yards, and there was the Turner Mill access. So. Had it been another 150 yards further down, that would have been a keeper fish and I'd been able to keep it. But that was the only fish that was caught in that whole first five and a half miles. And that was the zone. That's where I'm getting my 18 inches. The trout to keep in the blue ribbon had to be 18 inches. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's big. Yeah. You know, and you caught maybe a 10 incher. Yeah. You know, so um, once we got past that zone, which was beautiful through there, beautiful area. Gorgeous. Um, once we got past Turner Mill, that five point. 5.5 um yeah as soon as we as soon as we passed it we got to that area there was another boat ramp and people hanging out and some campers and all that we saw a spring coming in across the river there and we went ahead it was lunchtime. we pulled over started to have lunch the spring was coming in which was a great opportunity for us to refill our water being in kayaks we didn't have coolers packed full of water um you know you and i each had uh, a couple nalgene bottles couple uh i guess they're liter bottles of water um, and that's what we had. So we we were expecting to have to get water from the environment somewhere, somehow. Yeah. I think the most important part for me pulling over wasn't the lunch, wasn't the water. It was to switch my bait. It was to get into... Yeah, we could now <laughs> I was soft plastics now I could and use really my soft plastics. Bass. And that was the most important for me. It was time to re-rig and get ready to actually catch some fish. Mm -hmm. and, and we did. We started catching more fish once we were able to get out of those more strict regulations and start using soft plastic baits. But we actually started 
physically seeing more fish downriver as well. Mm-hmm. So that got me excited because for that first zone, you could see a few fish. I know there's some deep holes and they were probably in it, but you didn't see just trout. Yeah, it was kind of tough out. though. Even though the water was so clear, there was so much vegetation, mm-hmm. and I. There were different kinds of vegetation. I don't know what it all looked like. Some of it looked like milfoil, but there was so much vegetation that you couldn't hardly fish the bottom. Even some even some uh, of your moving baits, as you were pulling them through the broken vegetation up in the water, there was several miles where I think maybe one out of five casts that I actually throw out my bait and bring it back in with nothing on it. So your odds aren't really great at catching fish when you're battling stuff like that. Yeah, that made it tough, but... We did, so we continued on after lunch. We, again, ate lunch um, and then continued on because our next real stop was going to be wherever we're going to camp, mm-hmm. and that was the... We still had another, ended up being, we still had another seven miles. We didn't yeah. know where we were going quite yet, but we know we had. We ended up going another seven miles for the day. Uh, you caught the first keeper fish, <clears throat> which was really nice spotted bass. It was 13 inches. 13-inch spotted bass. Mm-hmm. Um, put him on the stringer. And uh, it was a metal, a metal stringer with the metal clips, and unfortunately, that that stringer eventually broke and gave way. Um, it did. That's <clears throat> that's kind of a sore subject. <laughs> well, from from a lot of standpoints, we lost our food. Yeah. Also, there's a there's a, a fish in that river now uh, with a metal stringer hanging in its mouth. He's probably yes. not going to live. Right. Um. And not not to knock on you. Because they sell these stringers at the store. But if you're going to go buy um, the cheapest metal stringer, this isn't the first one I've seen break. I, and I don't recommend them uh, to folks. So uh, buy a more expensive stringer or stick with your rope stringers or something like that. Um, and then also, if you're going to stringer fish, you need to eat the fish. I'm not an advocate of people uh, putting a hole in a fish's mouth and then releasing them back in the river. Correct. No, that's good. Uh, here's my... Takeaway, never buy a metal stringer, never own a metal stringer. No, I'm teasing because <laughs> there's a purpose for them. If you are moving, if you're on moving water and your vessel is moving, then you need to use um, a rope of some sort. So they sell all different types. They, they sell the cotton. They sell synthetic. They look like slick rope, rough rope, whatever you confined in that rope side that's what you need to use when you're going to be in a moving vessel with fish hanging over the side um do not use any metal Mm -hmm. don't use the metal the metal with the oh five to seven clips on it um usually leads to one clip on the end that you clipped your belt that would be if you're literally standing still or you're wade fishing or you're on the bank fishing and you need to throw them in and keep them right there um that metal is so weak that whenever whatever I hit that I got hung up on, I, and I think it was actually a rock. I went over the top of the rock, and somehow it had it had got trapped between the rock and my um, kayak. Yeah, it actually broke off at the very top clip, which means the fish, my first fish, first keeper, it was on the the bottom one. That means all those hooks were all gone. I had nothing left yeah. except for. One little clip with some chains hanging on. I mean, it, it had totally snapped it and was done. And, and that kind of left us a little bit defeated. I felt defeated. Because we was... went so many miles without fish, and mm-hmm. we were really, you know, you packed in and cornmeal bread and, and, and oil and taters and all this stuff to have this meal and felt like these guys were kind of counting on us for, for that snack, and we were kind of counting on ourselves for that uh, supper. Um, and you had this nice fish, 
before you had lost that fish, I caught a keeper largemouth, mm-hmm. but it measured exactly 12. 12 inches. Right. We had already had multiple people get their licenses checked and been encountered by game wardens. And I thought, if I put this thing on a stringer and I go four or five miles and something happens and it, it dies, and sometimes when they die, they may shrink a quarter inch. I was like, this, these two little fillets and this fish's it. life is not worth So I actually let it go. Yep. So at this point, after you lose your stringer and I let this keeper go, we're fishless. Yeah. And in between all that, this was crazy. This is this had never happened to me. I hooked a trout on a Ned rig, a nice trout. I'm going to say 15, 16, a really nice trout. As it comes up to me, I go to boat flip it, which means you, you, you raise your rod and you let that fish swing up and you grab your line or the fish, but you have it. You have it secured in your boat. I go to do that, and the fish is just like right there at the end of my arm's reach, and all of a sudden it comes off my line, just kind of sails in slow motion like a mickey mouse movie across my boat and lands in the water on the other side and it's gone and i was like okay we should have three keepers now we have zero well i go to look my worm's gone so i grab my bait to get out another worm put this on put a new worm on my hook and my hook is broken half completely gone all i have left is a straight shank so the fish didn't spit the hook the hook actually literally broke broke in half and yeah. it was a fresh, brand new hook. I'm not going to throw a name or a brand out there, but that has never happened to me, much less on a little measly old trap. Especially when we're trying to catch food to eat. Correct. You know? Which I rarely do. Right. We hardly ever eat the fish we, we catch unless it's white bass in the spring, but you and I love the tournament fish, so most of the time we're going out, we're, we're trying to catch bass, and we'll let them go. Yeah. On this trip, our goal, remember it depends on your goal for your trip, we wanted to catch supper food we wanted to catch supper and i was man i was kind of defeated at this point because we had had fish on our grasp and gone and this wasn't even a true survival situation you know if we were talking about survival situation how defeating it would it be to to have this fish and, mm-hmm. and then lose it you know we're watching these survival shows and you're like you idiots you know you had it and you lost it but yeah. i mean it just happens it so does. quick it's sometimes out of your control yeah and and it kind of that frustration kind of continued from there. We kept fishing on. Everybody had kind of w- moved on ahead. Um, you and I, at that moment, were... Um, there's a couple guys right just just ahead of us that were fly fishing from our group, but everybody else had kind of moved on, which is fine. We yeah. we knew they'd stop. We knew areas we were going, we'd all catch up. Um, I do recommend always staying with at least in eyesight of one person from your group. And you and I were kind of doing that. We were staying in eyesight of each other, fishing along. You all of a sudden say oh boy, this is a better fish. Mm-hmm. And I turn around to watch you fight it. And I watch this definitely better fish, big fish, <laughs> fly through the air. So I couldn't catch up to this fish. It was coming straight at me. Yeah. And I got my spinning rod. You're and I'm, I'm reeling hard. as fast as I can. And about the time that I think I'm caught up to it, this sucker comes up out of the water. I mean, at like you're sitting down in your kayak and it's like face level. Oh yeah. Wiggling. It right launched. There. <laughs> it launched. There goes my hook bait up in the sky yeah comes back down i lost and you turn and you look at me and you go what was that yeah and i said that was i think i said pike which was actually a chain pickerel which is very closely related it's in the it's in the pike family but yeah we're talking really good size fish you know your your three pound or better fish and so now we've lost the three keepers we've already had Mm mm-hmm Ben just had a the biggest one of the day yeah. come fly off right next to his boat. 
Yeah. We're kind of like, oh my gosh, what do we do? And the only answer is, no pun intended, stay hooked. Stay hooked. Keep throwing your bait in, keep going. Um, and we did, and we eventually uh, were able to catch some fish to keep. Um, but it was it was a drag out. I mean, our, yeah. our, our group had kind of went on up ahead, and that was kind of that, should we keep going or should we keep fishing? And remember, our goal was to catch supper, and we did, and we stayed. And, and I mean, it was so hard. Uh, I lost another chain pickerel come you off a, another really good as a matter of fact i got hung up with him on by the time i got him free and up you hung up in a, a tree that had the top had fallen down into the water there. yep yeah. um lost one there um and then i ended up finally catching a chain pickerel and i caught some smaller smallmouth. you caught some yep, yep and you caught a spotted bass you had a trout um a goggle eye a goggle eye and then a um another guy on the trip our tony friend, our friend caught a keeper tony caught mouth. another keeper largemouth and so we had a pretty good good uh i'll call it a bag yeah. but we had a pretty good we ended up with five fish to, to clean fish. and eat which we kept mm-hmm. um we had to fight really hard you end up catching it would have been your your the smallest of the chain pickerel which was interesting you and i were using very very similar baits but you were the only one getting the chain pickerel to bite but you did end up catching a, a keeper chain pickerel and putting it on a stringer that you made out of paracord that you brought. Right. Since your your metal stringer was broke. Mm-hmm. Um, but we ended up having to, uh, you and I and another friend, we fought really hard to get that fish back. Yes. Yeah. We almost lost it too. Yeah, we did. And and that put us late to camp. Uh, yep. Which led to some, some more interesting adventures. But So because up to that point, I had lost every fish that I caught either by off the hook or mm-hmm. because the stringer broke. So yeah, it's defeating. When I used that paracord, it was actually a piece that I had um, using up front. It's like when you want to get out of your boat and you want to wade fish, you kind of have something tied up front on your boat to tie to you. So it was this extra paracord I had. And I grabbed it. I cut a little hole under this chain pickerels because, again, I'm eating it. Mm-hmm. So we talked, don't do this if you're not eating these fish, right. if you're letting them go. So I, I'd cut that hole and I shoved that paracord through and tied actually a bowling knot. Um, I was like, what's the best knot I can use? I'll never let go, right? right? And didn't even pay attention to, it was probably at least four foot long. Well, and, I had put a little doubt in your mind because they have teeth. Yes. The chain pickerel have teeth. Yes. And uh, we had stopped there for a second and got some cool pictures. Um, one of our friends who went with us is just an incredible photographer. So we were getting yeah. some, some cool pictures and... Uh, we took off again, and as we were taking off, I said, you trust that paracord to hold up to his teeth? And I put some doubt in your mind. Yeah. Maybe I shouldn't have said anything, but who knows? You ended up stopping and doubling up that paracord. You pulled it through twice. I did. I actually used what left I had of the chain stringer, right. the metal stringer, and I tied it to paracord, so I hooked it through the mouth, plus I had it tied to the mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, both were about four foot long then at that point. So I had two, con- two separate connections to this fish, to my boat, because this is all <laughs> the food. I- away. No, it was like all the food I had. I was like, I'm doing whatever. Well, we ended up going through uh, kind of a, a bottleneck area where the river got a lot smaller. And honestly, I wasn't even paying attention. There was another, it was kind of like a strainer. What means there's a tree was, was on its, you know, underwater on its edge. Yeah. And there was a root wad completely made under this the root water. Wad, yeah. And, um, I don't even know, I don't even think my boat went over the top of it, but because I had so much paracord hanging down, that fish was still alive, still swimming. He got down there Into the and, root ball. and all of a sudden I got, I was hung up over the top of this yeah. root wad and it completely stopped my boat. 
I was and and me and our other friend, we were kind of ahead of us a little bit there, but it was a lot of current. So yeah. it, it wasn't so much current we couldn't get back to you. However, it was a, it was really difficult to stay near you, to help you. We tried uh, hooking our boats up and me paddling backwards until I was exhausted to pull you out of the root wad. That didn't work. Yep. Um, our friend came in and tried to hook it with his paddle and we tried did. to push you off we of it. We used our anchors and threw them up and tried to... We tried everything and to make this... It was a long... Right. I mean, it was at least 30 minutes we tried to yep. get free. But our friend had an awesome idea. He did. He said, well, let's take our, I got. I have an empty Nalgene bottle. Cut your rope, cut your. Cut this rope off of your boat so you're free, you're safe, you're free from it. We'll tie this Nalgene bottle off to the end so we know where the rope is the whole time. If he comes free, we have the If he comes free, we're going to be yep. able to see this, this bottle and go get it, save the fish, save the stringer, this whole thing. Right. Which is a really good idea. It was an awesome idea. So you got away from it. Our Nalgene bottles floating out there in the river above this root wad. Again, currents flowing through there pretty good. It takes everything we can to paddle up. You will end up going over to the side. Now, keep in mind, the water is cold. It's a pretty warm day. It's been about 85, but it's supper time now. Yeah, We're down getting, deep. It is 400-foot ravine to, down to the where the river is. It's steep. The sun's already gone behind the mountain. Uh it's Which gonna be. Cold. I hadn't got in at all. Hadn't been in yet. You know, other guys had got in, uh, got their masks out, was mm-hmm. kind of checking it out. Um, I was warm. You know, I had a long sleeve shirt on. I, I love to block the sun that way, and I realized I'm gonna have to get in to save this fish. I, I have to get in. Yeah. So I took off what I needed to watch and all the stuff. Took off, and when I jumped in, I mean, it absolutely took my breath away. It took it away. I could not get it back. I was gasping for air while trying to swim over to that root wad. Yeah. And I knew that it was the the current wasn't strong enough to to get me caught up in it or I wouldn't have done this. Right. I mean this was it was still safe enough, but it was swift enough that you had to be on your guard and watch and, and be ready. So I swam all the way to it, grabbed the paracord, pulled it off, felt free. So I'd now jump off, which I can't touch, so I jump off through rod and I start swimming. Well, I'm not getting anywhere. And remember, I'm still kind of gasping because I'm I'm cold. It, it's a shock to my body, and I'm not going anywhere. Yeah, and I think I even made the comment, "Have you swam?" Yeah, before? he's yelling at me. <laughs> Have you swam before in current? Our friend's got his camera out videoing. The yeah, whole thing. recording this whole thing. So I'm gasping, trying to swim. But what had happened is that fish. Remember, there was two lines attached. One was still stuck, and I could not go. Mm-hmm. So I put the line in my mouth, and I start two hand stroking. And I couldn't hardly get anywhere. So I look over, there's another log, and I was actually able to reach out and grab that log, climb up on top of it, and then with all my might, I could pull upstream, and I got that fish free. But I was freezing cold, still hadn't really got my breath, and I was exhausted. It was a lot of work you, for yeah. one fish. You did. You you did it. You got it back. You saved it. So at, at this point, we have five fish. Um I got a good show. It was fun to watch. Yeah. Maybe everybody's got that, a good video. Maybe we could get that video and show everybody that this week. <laughs> no, before, no, it's before archived. It's done, gone. <laughs> uh, but we wanted to fish more. We knew, you know, we had we had our, our five fish, but there's eight people, and we had a lot of taters, so we were wanting to catch a few more fish to mm-hmm. really make a good batch of food to eat. We had food. We weren't going to starve. We had dehydrated meals, but if you can have fresh fish oh, it's fried so after, hot after a long day Uh, that's great at camp so that was really what we were trying to get so we were still trying to fish a little bit but 
it is. It is. It is getting dark. I think it came down to um, we only had an hour of hour and a half of daylight left. It was about mm-hmm. six p.m. Yep. We knew seven thirty. That was it. Light yep. was gone. Um, we knew we had just delayed at least thirty minutes, and the, the people ahead of us didn't know this, so we knew that. We had told them, hey, let's stop around this point. So we were hoping they'd be around there. And so we, we kind of just started paddling. Weren't really fishing a whole lot, trying to catch up to them. Well, finally, we see this sign for where we had discussed stopping with everybody. But it was like a jungle. Yeah. It was a jungle and Overgrown. a sign. So we're like, yeah. this is not a place to camp. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, they're somewhere. We're going to keep going until we find them, even if we have to stay on the river at dark. Well, as we pass the sign, we go a couple hundred yards, and you're ahead of me, and I'm watching you, and you're just looking over to your left, and you're just staring. Yeah, I I got this weird feeling, but it was from a noise. Yeah. And I was trying to figure out what, I've never heard this before, and I was like, what is, what is this? And it just sounded and felt different. Yeah. And so, as I kept staring, it took my it kind of shocked me because I was like, oh, that is what that is, you know? And it was a, a little black bear. I'm going to say 100 to 125 pounds, like yeah. not real big, big enough to, oh, woo, yeah. Oh, there's kinda, a bear. Yeah. So right down that river's edge. And um, matter of fact, I kind of gave it a whistle. Mm-hmm. I, I made like a, a cardinal whistle and that thing turned and started working his way back up that trail. And I think that's when you guys like, what is, what? Yeah, you said, oh my gosh, there's a bear. Well, at that point, me and our other, our friend there, we turn and we look and we can hear the twigs breaking and we can see every, all of everything shaking and yeah. it sounds, sounds like a dinosaur running through there. Um, and we we're like, well, maybe that's why we weren't supposed to camp here. Maybe that's why <laughs> it's all grown up. But that's when it kind of registered like, oh yeah, we're, we're in bear country here. We're going to have to take that into account tonight camp absolutely yeah and, and that's important to, to minimize your risks and, and be careful with those hazards that those animals like bear and raccoon are opportunistic feeders and they know where people are at and they know people have food yeah we're not yeah we're not talking about them coming after us that's mm-hmm. not really a worry or, mm-hmm. or a fear does it happen yes but really we're, we're more talking about we've got eight guys with a whole bunch of two days worth of, of food yeah and, and bear can get through any of that easy the most secure thing we have is a tent and what's a tent to a bear nothing right so that that's more what we're talking about not so much that we're scared of them but more so we want to keep the food that we have um but anyway we went on it started getting dark we checked that camp we checked another camp i think we passed two or three camps and we were not finding our guys and so we kind of just said uh you know what there's a couple more camps up ahead we definitely haven't seen smoke we haven't seen lights we haven't heard people talking we haven't seen any kayaks we're rolling on. Mm-hmm. So we started moving on. Um, and wouldn't you know it, the pool that we ended in was this big, long, beautiful. slow, beautiful bass place fishing. to fish. Yeah, uh, I think I even cast a couple times and, and had a bass follow it up. But it was just straight paddling. We're at the end of the day. We're like a mile 11. So this mm-hmm. whole last mile, we're just paddling it out. Um, but they were. We, we ended up at another boat ramp access, and, and there were our guys there. They, they had... Uh, yeah, they, they were at camp set up. They had a good fire going. Yeah, an awesome fire. They had um, their shelters up, and they had and, talked to some locals that were like, "Yeah, if you could go on a little further, but this this is the place for you tonight." Right. So, so and it worked out awesome. Yeah. We 
Um, by then we cleaned our fish, battered fish. I got my, you know, I take. How was um, that cleaning fish? You know, the cleaning fish was actually awful because the mosquitoes were so, so bad. They were on my nose, eyelids, you know, I'm blowing. You're, I finally went and got you and was like, please hold the light. I can't do this yeah. by myself. We kind of divided. I was I was getting the taters ready. You went to flay the fish. Yep. Um, but I was almost done, and you come up and kind of tap me on the shoulder and, and say, hey, I need you to come help me. And I, I come you. down there, and all you had done, you hadn't even had a fillet off yet. You had just laid back one side of the first fish, and I was like, is this all you've done? And you go, oh, I've done. Yeah. Look at these mosquitoes. Can you stand back? So I had to stand back several feet from you and hold this light, but it was still pretty miserable. It was miserable, but we did it. We got them all cleaned up, and, um, you know, I have deep-fried in the backcountry, in college, I went to Estes Park and taught students how to, it was called Ozark back porch cooking. Yeah. Um, but I love the deep fry, even on backpacking trips. It's dangerous, so you have to be very careful. Um, the oil you're taking, how you're heating it up, not getting it too hot. So there's an art and there's some information there that later in maybe another episode we could really mm-hmm. talk through. But we actually deep fried those fish. Right there by the fire. That was the very first time that I've ever ate chain pickerel. Mm-hmm. so good it was bony so i had to score it and any bony fish you have to score and we did i scored it um you know when you fry it in that hot hot grease it actually they say it cooks them up but really all it does is kind of make them soft yeah so we, that they're they're chewable we but, fried the fish and the oh. taters and we kind of did pass arounds pass the plate around the fire let everybody have some and then once everybody was done there was a whole bunch of potatoes left there were and, and you and another guy kind of wiped them out you challenged yourself we wiped them out we're gonna get through this waste not but so. at the end both of you guys were like i'm so full yeah and it was ready for bed and that's exactly what we did we got camp set up um what were sleeping arrangements like that night we we're scattered everywhere scattered you know? all over the place I, I actually slept on the ground most people brought hammocks Yep. Some people brought tents. Again, it's whatever you love. I slept in a hammock, and there were a couple other people got uh, sleeping in hammocks too, but they had bug nets, which for our situation with, uh, guys, the mosquitoes were, when I say bad, I'm talking like swipe the swarm off your legs. As soon as you stand back up, swipe them off your face. Mm-hmm. I was wearing a hooded sun fishing shirt that I could actually zip up to where the only thing that was showing was my eyes. Right. And I sat around the fire that night with just my eyes showing, trying to cover all my skin. Um, but it did. My legs and my ankles and my feet are, are still ate up today. Um, so it was really cool that they had bug nets. I didn't have that. And I suspected just feeling the humidity that we were going to have that, that moisture, that dew again. Mm-hmm. So I strung up my hammock, and then I strung up a ridgeline above my hammock, and I draped my tarp over that top ridgeline to where it draped over both sides of my hammock, and I kind of got in my own little hammock tent there. And I actually slept really well. I was a little worried about you because we, uh, you and I were the last two awake at night, and we had some... Uh, Uninvited right. guests to right. the campsite before we went masked, to sleep. Masked creatures. Masked guests. Yeah. Yeah. And we had raccoons that came up and actually were in kayaks um, messing around with stuff. But they were um, running right by us. Yeah. They didn't care that we were there. No. We were, yeah. Um, I will say because of the interaction with that bear that we had, mm-hmm. you know, and because we were in true wilderness, um, man, a lot of people think in Missouri you don't need bear bags. You don't need to do that, but you do. And we did. We actually gathered up all the trash we could find, all of our food, and we hung a bear bag. Um, did we need it? 
I think so, but nothing happened through the night. We didn't have a bear, so that's great, right? And that's where people are like, well, did you really need it? Yeah, you always plan for the worst. And explain that bear bag to us. You know, you you want to hang, you want to find a good, strong limb that's going to hold the weight of, of whatever your food is. You know, trash, anything that's got food, taste, smell on it. All your trash, all your food, all your snacks, you put it in. We use dry bags. You know, there are going to be areas where you have to use certain bare containers. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't, we're not required to in Missouri, but we found a good long limb that was at least, I mean, it, where we hung it was 10 feet out from the tree and it was at least 12 feet high. So any standing bear would not, when it could not have stood on its hind legs and reached it and it could not have climbed the tree and reached out and grabbed it. Yeah, and you're so, looking for the sweet point. You mm-hmm. have a, a nice strong limb that comes out perpendicular to the tree, yep. and you're going to string, you're going to throw, we use the Nalgene bottle again, clipped it on, threw it up over the limb, so we have our rope hanging down, then we clip all of our bags onto it. Yep. But there's a sweet point where, um, kind of like in baseball, they're, even the best hitters have that one little spot in their swing where if you can throw it right there, they're not going to get to it. Mm-hmm. You're going to raise this bag up off the ground, taller than a bear can reach, it's going to be further from the trunk of a tree that they can reach. Because black further bears can from, climb trees. Yes, they can climb yep. trees. And further from the branch, if they were to crawl out on the branch, it's further enough below that that they can't get to it from there. So it's this sweet point between those three mm-hmm. areas that they can't reach it. Right. And that's um, what we did. We yep. hung it up. It kept the raccoons out too. Um, something yeah, really interesting. no issues. Yeah. The one thing that I've never seen before is I had on a Maxent Powerbait lure. Okay. It was a worm on my hook and we left it in the kayak we just left our fishing pole just left the them kayaks. there yeah. yeah they can get wet that's fine mm-hmm. well the next morning something had ate the entire tail <laughs> and the entire head off all the way down to the hook there's like a about an inch left just on the hook yeah i would have thought like a chipmunkers i mean i have no idea what did it but something ate it ate the plastic worm ate the whole plastic worm and it definitely wasn't a fish right <laughs> it definitely wasn't so, a fish but you know you and i have been doing this for years and years and years and, and again there's new things that i learned from the stringer to even really like even even our bait getting eaten on the bank so watching out for those things yeah there's that's the best thing about adventure is no even even if it's the repeat adventure meaning if we went and did this exact same trip next weekend mm-hmm. there are still things that we would learn we would have new experiences happen during that we would still take away from that so that that's what's awesome so we made it through camp. We woke up the next day. We had actually, um, I packed in a full dozen eggs. You had a, a, at least a pound of bacon. We cooked all the bacon and eggs up. I, they were actually farm fresh eggs. I Gosh, hadn't washed them. So they still had the so bloom good. on the eggs. So I wasn't worried about keeping them cold or or, or uh, dry. They were. I put them in a hard case and packed them in my bag. So we had an awesome breakfast, had coffee. We got up and hit the river. And the next day we knew everybody was wanting to not be out there as long. Right. Well, we had went 12 miles. We knew we only had about eight to go. Um, so it was really more about adventure and taking in the sights the next day. We fished a tiny bit, but never caught anything. And that was just because you and I can't resist if we're around water. No, to yeah, I got to try. Yeah. Got to try. But yep. every spring we passed, we stopped and checked it out. The first one we stopped and went up, as we started going up it, me and another guy, um, he was really into to deer hunting. He was scouting deer everywhere we went. And we kind of started looking. He was like, oh, look at this trail over here. And I started looking around, and I was like, that's hog sign. I was like, that is a hog waller. If I ever seen one, all that trampled down up there. Well, next thing I know, on the other side of this little inlet, I hear all kinds of crashing and running through the trees. And our buddy comes out, and he goes, he had went up 
to kind of check out this trail on the other side. He comes out and he goes, um, there's two big old hogs up there I just jumped. And I was like, we were just talking about all the hog sign that we saw. Yeah, you did. But that was the first time on this trip that had never occurred to me before we left that we need to watch out for hogs and they can be really dangerous. They'll, they can. they'll come after humans. They're dirty. They're filthy, nasty. So you don't really want to be in the area that they're, they're at and they do a lot of damage. But from then on the rest of the float, I was keyed into that. And we did, we saw a lot of, a lot of damage, but there was awesome wildlife that we saw too. We saw several groups of otters. There were beaver and minks and bald eagles and osprey, uh, green herons, night herons, blue herons. Egret. We saw egrets. Yes. I mean, raccoons climbing up and down the Armadillo. cliffs. Armadillos. Deer. Deer. We saw fawns. A, a fawn walked right up to us on the edge of the river. Just everything. Oh, you said bald eagle? Yeah, bald eagle. Yep. Something we didn't, I did not see, and I don't know if I've ever done a paddling trip this long and not seen them, was a snake. I never saw a snake. Not either. one time. Yep. Which most people are like, awesome. Right. Um, Right. But I kind of like seeing them, watching them do their thing. At one point, I, th- I thought I saw a water moccasin. By the time I got up to it, it was a mink trying to get across the river there. That's funny. Yeah. I could see that. But yeah, day two was really just about adventure. We it stopped was. at a couple springs and swam and had lunch skipping rock contests. Yep. Uh, just doing all the stuff. There's so much to do out there, especially when you have the camaraderie of a group like that. So um, what else did we do out there that day? Oh, that, that one spring was crazy. Um, yeah, we actually found... It, uh, so one of the locals there at the campsite that we stayed at was telling uh, our crew that there was an amazing, awesome, huge spring mm-hmm. that they needed to go check out. So that's what we were kind of looking for is where is this spring that, that this local was talking about. And you and I actually thought we found it. We went, we, we got out. Everybody's like, can we come over? Like, yeah, let's come check it out. So we started walking up, which it hurt so bad on my feet. It was so, so cold. But we walked the spring all the way up and... We got to the end of it. Yeah, it went way up into the into way the up in there. There was so much hog sign. I'm talking everywhere. It was everywhere. Wallers, even in the water at the head of the spring. What did we find? Well, we found hog scat. Yes. actually in the spring. In it, and that was a disappointment because. Um, you know, you and I had kind of been talking through purification and filtration uh, with the group the whole time, and how we were going about getting water. We, because we were, we were filtering out of the water. Uh, we had filtered out of a couple springs before, and we also that night filtered straight out of the river into a jug and used purification uh, tablets to purify our water, and then we filtered that back out, and that's what we had been drinking all that day. But it was about gone. It was time for more, so we were excited to be at the spring. Mm-hmm. Everybody hiked up with their water bottles. And we get up there, and literally hog wallers, which is where they roll in the mud to cake themselves in mud, half in the water, half on the bank of this spring, and then, yeah, hog scat in the water. So it was kind of this disappointment of, oh, man, we need water. We hiked all the way up here. I turned and I said, guys, I, I'm i out. I'm not getting I'm not getting any water out of the spring. Um, somebody did. Somebody chose to get some water, and they ended up being fine. They went above the scat, and they, and they got some. But most people opted out. Um, what was impactful there, and we teach this in all our programs, is you don't know what's above you. So we could have stopped where this spring dumped into the river, filtered that water right out into our jugs, and yeah. drank it. Yeah, we could have. But truly, in my mind, it needed to be purified mm-hmm. because hogs were living in this water probably daily, and there were literally ta- hog tog. There were hog turds floating in the top of the spring. Mm-hmm. And 
I would have been mortified had I drank a bottle of that water and then found that. Yeah. And that's the importance of knowing when to purify, when to filter. There is, there's a difference. Knowing your equipment, will your filter filter out those things if mm-hmm. that's all you're using? Um, so it's important to us. And, and I think that's what you and I, again, I was talking earlier about discovering new things. You know, you and I have taught, people ask, can you drink right out of the spring? This spring was bubbling up right out of the ground. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was bubbling up. And yes, you can go drink right out of it. I've done it before. But you want to at least filter, and then you definitely want to purify if your filter is not filtering the microns needed. Right. And in this case, you would not have wanted to drink out of this water because there was feces in it, especially from an animal like a, a pig that can carry all kinds of, of bacteria. And yeah, when you buy a water filter, you know they're all going to tell you what, what size micron they filter down to. Um, and generally, the more expensive the filter, the smaller things that they're going to filter. Um, you're paying for some other things too, longevity, all, all that kind of stuff. But generally, the more expensive, the, the better filter it's going to be. Um, but at the end of the day, filtering is just filtering. When you add in purification, you are actually killing everything that is in that water. So if you really want to make sure to be safe, we love to filter and purify. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we know we're good. We have that peace of mind. Um, it, it turns out, you know, the person that, that drank, filtered this water from above the, the feces there, they were fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, to our knowledge, we never heard anything. We were with them the whole rest of the day. They were good, but um, it's definitely better to, to be safe than sorry um, when it comes to that. So yeah, we checked out a couple other really big springs. We finally made it down to to our takeout, and that feels good. You know, oh. back to your truck. We still didn't yeah. have ser- no cell phone service, so there, we still hadn't been able to tell our wives and our kids, "Hey, we're good." And, and it's tough, man, to go to bed and not tell your kids and your wife, "Good night, I love you. I'm good. So glad you're good." That's, that's tough, even though it's just a couple nights, um, not to have that peace in mind that your family is okay. You mm-hmm. miss them hard. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's one of the toughest things about going out and, and exploring and doing trips, for sure. Yeah. But, yeah, so we loaded up the trucks. It was about a 30-minute drive once we got all our boats loaded up back to where my truck was uh, for where we started the first day. We got back there. We got all of our stuff off the other truck and put into my truck. And happy to jump in and fire it up and start the AC and head home to go see the family. That's something else in pre-trip planning that we didn't talk about. Is that you have to know how you're putting in and taking out. And the shuttle how process. are you getting back? The whole shuttle process. How yeah. am I getting back to my... Back when I was guiding a youth, a lot of the kids thought that these paddling trips were going on were just big circles. Lazy so, rivers. They're lazy rivers. So that wherever you put in, you'd end up again. But that you've got to plan that as well. If how many people's going, how many how many yeah. vessels are going, and how do we get back to the beginning where our vehicles are? At? What was awesome was that our buddies had taken care of it they by did. the time we got there, and that that was that felt good. So thank you to you guys that took care of all the shuttling and, and volunteered. Yeah, your your vehicles to be left in the middle of nowhere overnight, and luckily every, no, nothing was messed with. However, you and I were loaded up, ready to head home. We got to my truck and yeah dead battery the dreaded bed battery and i ha- and i have two batteries in my truck so mm-hmm. it was like which one is it why is it dead did i leave a light on oh my gosh i just want to go home and sit in the air conditioning you were you didn't sleep much you were really really tired you were ready for a little nap mm-hmm. it's like unbelievable thankfully somebody was still there one of our guys and he was like i got jumper cables and he pulled around jumped us fired right off and we drove home you mm-hmm. got your nap we got some taco bell which yeah. is awesome felt yeah. so good we got to cell phone service cell phone service and say hey call. yeah wife and kids we're good we're coming home we can't wait to see you uh but man how unbelievable 
my favorite part of the whole trip. When you get to wrap your arms around your wife and your kids are wrapped around your legs hugging on you. It stinks to leave, but when you come home and you just feel all that all that love yeah. and you have a home to go to with all oh, that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh my goodness, just full of of gratitude and thankfulness for that. Um just so good to to be a part of the family again. Definitely. I this this trip was a, a new one. Um usually when I get home, which yeah, they run, the kids run, grab your legs, you hug them. And and they did it this trip, but my daughter said something that just cracked me up this time and and she ran daddy daddy you know picked her up gave her the big hug and i was like i love you and then she kind of started pulling back and i said did you miss me and she kind of looked at me and she kind of tilted her her head sideways and she goes well not so much (laughs) (laughs) which she just giving me the biggest hug but yeah i was like you squirt you know which they were busy while i was gone but again it was just it felt so good to have the kids there, but I was thinking she was going to be like, she usually was like, yes, I love you, daddy. You know, yeah. but this time she looked at me and she said, well, not so much. Uh-huh. <laughs> I thought well, you punk. <laughs> I was wanting to hug, I was wanting to hug on my wife and she's like, you need to take a shower. You stink. Yeah. yeah. You smell like yeah. campfire and BO because there's no shower on the river. So I did, you know, got all, got all the stuff unpacked and, and went in and, and get a hot shower and just get back to being husband and being dad and and fulfilling that role and that duty. And uh, man, is it one that I love and I know you love it too. So being away is awesome. Unplugging is awesome, but getting home. Feels um, so good. Yeah. That makes it, that makes it, Mm -hmm. that makes all of it. And and it's great to get home. Um, As far as the gear side, something I I really want to encourage everybody when you go on any kind of trip and you're using your gear, when you get home, get it out, unpack it. Don't let it, don't let Mm -hmm. it set for a few days. I know you're hungry. I know you want to shower. I know you want to see your family. Tell them hi and get that stuff out. Unpack it all so it can dry. Even if you don't think it's wet, it probably has some moisture in it because there's moisture outdoors, even if it didn't rain. Um, So stretch your sleeping bags out. Stretch your sleeping pads out. I know it stinks because it's already rolled up and put away because you packed it in your bag and you're going to have to do it all again. But it will make your gear last longer. if there's any critters, whatever, if you're you going to a filter, a water filter, if you're using one, dry unscrew that. Out. You want that thing to be completely dry. Mm-hmm. You do not want a bacteria to continue to grow in it. So um, washing your dishes, washing your pots and pans. Um, it's so important to... Clean your knives. To just, yeah, put everything, get everything cleaned back up and let it all air dry really well before Before you put it, it all away. Mm-hmm. Yep. So yep. That, that was the first thing we did when we got home was get it all set out and then yeah once it's dried you can put it back away and get it ready for the next trip so ben let's end here with just a couple a couple key takeaways or just that one big takeaway uh for each of us before uh, we wrap this up yeah the first uh, takeaway again i've never had this happen before i know brian shared you shared that uh you've seen it many times i've never had a metal stringer fail on me but I never had it pinched and pulled on either. So that was such a, a learning moment for me is, is when I am in a moving vessel and I'm carrying fish um, because I want to respect the fish too. You know, I don't want to kill this thing and then and it get free and something else eat it. So metal stringer, so important to leave it at home on any kind of moving vessel. Um, I cannot share enough how important that is. Uh, the second thing is, you know, I'm not a man that carries a bug net, um, but 
permethrin is so powerful. I sprayed permethrin on my bivy bag and on my sleeping bag, and that really helped me through the night because mosquitoes were really bad. And so if you if you don't have a bad. bug net on your <clears throat> hammock, if you don't have a, you know, they sell bug nets you can put over your sleeping bag, all kinds of different products. But if you don't have a bug net for mosquitoes, um, man, carry something, find a way to, to keep them off of you for yeah. sure. Or go camping in the winter. Or go camping when it's not so warm. <laughs> yeah, and that's tough because right now the weather is beautiful to go do what we did. Our weather was so, it couldn't have been better. It, couldn't have been it was better. cool at night for sleeping, mm-hmm. but it was still warm enough during the day you could get that sunshine and be hot enough to get in this to freezing in. cold river. Yep. It was perfect. It was perfect. Yeah. So thankful for that. But my one big takeaway, you know, just all these hours, two days worth of going down the river and I was blown away by the wildlife and how much there was. And we got to see all these different species we didn't think we were going to see. But as I'm watching them and how they're acting towards us, how they're acting with each other and the environment. And, you know, I was getting questions along the way from people in the group of, you know, well, this is a clear water spring. Why is there algae on the rocks? Why does this do this? Why did this about deer? And it just kind of, it just kind of came to me because I'm, I'm giving credit to God, the creator of all of it, the whole way. Like, just thank you for letting me be here. Thank you for all of this. It is the biggest, best work of art ever in the history of of the world. And I'm taking it in, and I'm thinking, you know what? It's all kind of intrinsically complicated, meaning the algae in the water, it's actually a sign that that stream's healthy. It's clear. The water is clear. The sunlight's getting down to the bottom. That There's algae growing, putting oxygen into the water. And you've got this complex food web that each little teeny tiny part of it has to be present for it to all work together. And you've got bears and hogs that play a factor in the water. And, and the bears love to be there because they have fresh water and lots of food. And all of this is just this big complicated, if you were to draw all these species up on a board and draw the relationships out with arrows, it would be a mess. It's complicated, yet it's so simple, and it works. They all need food and water and a place to sleep, just like we do. And I just left me with nothing, nobody could come up with such this complicated process that ends up to be this just simple, perfectly working thing, except for a divine creator who was far more intelligent than any person that's ever set foot on this planet. Mm-hmm. And I was just left with that impact. And I w- just basically is a message that I wanted to share. And it's kind of this contradiction of complication yet, yet simple. Um, and that's what I really took from, from being out there unplugged, witnessing everything that was around me for the week. That's really good. Yeah. I think we should end on that because that's yeah. perfect, man. Sums yeah. it right up. What, yeah, that that is it for this episode of the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast. I hope you were kind of able to vicariously uh, live through our experience. It was an incredible trip for us. We so much appreciate you listening to the trip. We hope that you find some time to go out and plan one of these trips, maybe this fall. Um, if you need more time, plan it for the spring, but get a group of people together. Reach out to us if you have questions about gear or where to go, or maybe if you want to invite us to go with you, we'd love to do that as well. Uh, Please follow along on Facebook, Instagram, all the social media. If you want to support the podcast, we would love for you to follow us on Patreon and become a monthly member. All of this can be found through our link trees on our social media uh, websites. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast. 
please find time between now and the next episode to go enjoy the great outdoors. Thank you for listening to the Meant to Be Outdoors podcast, hosted by Brian Hoffmeyer and Ben Brandell. Please help us by subscribing. Also, follow along on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook.